Let's get it. Monday, April 20th, 2020. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. Uh, make sure to get out and get some exercise, get some sun during this extended period of bunker time. And if you're a new listener due to the VA's new email campaign, uh, welcome. Stay a while and listen. And if you get that reference, you and I played the same video games as kids. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review. Those reviews go a long way to pushing up this info in the iTunes algorithms. So this podcast and the info and the stories in it can get in front of even more veterans. And before we get into news releases, did you know if you go into a local community health care provider without the approval from the VA, you will likely get a bill for that care because it wasn't authorized? However, it is the VA's goal to provide eligible veterans with care they deserve when and where they need it. VA's partnership with local providers or community care allows us to do this. You've probably heard of the Mission Act. Uh, I've talked about it extensively on this podcast, which established and defined community care eligibility criteria for veterans. What are the eligibility requirements, you may ask? They are, you may be eligible for community care if you need a service that is not available at VA. You reside in a U.S. state or territory without a full-service VA medical facility. Your VA clinician determines it's in your best interest to see a community provider. You need care from a VA medical service that VA determines is not providing care that complies with VA's quality standards. You meet the wait time access standards for an appointment at the VA medical facility, or if you meet the average drive time access standards for an appointment at a VA medical facility. Again, as you know, I recently did the uh, my physical therapy using community care, and I use the average drive time access standards. You are also available until June 1st, 2020, if you received care under the Veterans Choice Program and still meet its distance criteria. VA makes all determinations for community care eligibility. So, if you're interested, talk to your care team to see if you're eligible. And as the country battles COVID-19, many community care providers have different policies and procedures to ensure the health of their patients. Telehealth and telemedicine allow veterans the option to still see their provider without risk of exposure. For more information about community care eligibility, go to www.va.gov or call MyVA311. That's 1-844-696-2311. Or call your local VA medical center. In addition, I wanted to pass on a note from our friends over at the Small Business Administration. It says, the SBA is committed to supporting all small businesses through the uncertainty of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the SBA, Office of Veterans Business Development, is working to continue to provide information on guidance and assistance for veteran and all military spouse small business owners. To keep small business owners informed, SBA regional and district offices are hosting free daily webinars to discuss the latest COVID-19 updates and resources available for small businesses. To find your local SBA office, visit sba.gov forward slash tools forward slash local hyphen assistance. You can also subscribe to the SBA email updates directly on the sba.gov website to stay connected. For more information or to learn more about SBA's COVID-19 funding relief options and guidance for small businesses, visit sba.gov forward slash coronavirus. Okay, three news releases this week. 
First one says, for immediate release, VA's disaster emergency personnel system provides surge support to combat COVID-19. The Department of Veterans Affairs began shifting medical personnel recently, with the first employees arriving to support efforts in New Orleans, Louisiana, one of the hardest hit areas impacted by COVID-19. Through VA's Disaster Emergency Medical Personnel System, medical personnel are deployed as VA continues to solicit fully credentialed volunteers for within its workforce to reinforce staffing levels in New Orleans. Internally, VA is currently seeking personnel with intensive care unit and medical or surgical ward experience, as well as biomedical technicians with expertise using ventilators and other personnel to support Southwest Louisiana Veterans Healthcare System's response to COVID-19. This is a normal and routine part of VA's response to both local and national disasters, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, etc. In addition, VA has been working to shift most outpatient care to telehealth operations and has postponed the majority of elective and non-emergent procedures. This minimizes the risk of infection, allows veterans to receive care through minimal contact with staff, saves time, and reduces the consumption of personal protective equipment reduces the stress on that whole logistics chain. Okay, and the next one, we actually kind of mentioned this in one of our COVID updates, our, our bonus episodes. We interviewed a couple of the directors from VA vet centers that are currently mobilized. Um, says for immediate release, VA virtual mental health care is on the rise amid COVID-19. VA staff data shows a dramatic jump in virtual mental health care services in March, a sign veterans are successfully accessing care despite the challenges the, the pandemic has presented. VA Video Connect allows veterans to consult with their health care provider via their computer, tablet, or phone. Also during March, mental health care providers completed more than 34,000 appointments with veterans using VA Video Connect, an increase of 70% from the 20,000 appointments made in February before the pandemic. Telehealth group therapy conducted more than 2,700 visits in March, a jump of more than 200% from the prior month. Mental health care and consultation delivered by phone rose to more than 154,000 appointments in March, up 280% from the 40,000 appointments in February. Vet centers across the nation held more than 47,000 virtual appointments in March, a 200% increase from February. And of course, we had the, the two mobilized ones, in, uh, one in, that we interviewed in New Orleans and New York in our previous episode. These counseling sessions dealt with mental health issues. Veterans interested in learning more about scheduling a telehealth appointment can read the latest VA information about coronavirus and mental health at va.gov forward slash coronavirus hyphen veteran hyphen frequently hyphen asked hyphen questions. And for those looking for more information on their nearest facility, you can find that information at va.gov forward slash find hyphen locations. And as always, for veterans who are in crisis, help is available at the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. Okay, and finally, for immediate release, VA mobilizes 3D printing resources nationwide to fight COVID-19. In an effort to help meet the growing demand, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs activated its 3D printing network in late March to test 3D designs of medical equipment used by the nation's healthcare providers to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. VA is teaming with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the National Institute of Health, and innovators across the globe using 3D printing technology to prototype medical supplies, including customized personal protective equipment like face shields, masks, and ventilators. 
Developing 3D masks and other critical PPE supplies bolsters the nation's fight against COVID-19. It also supports VA's fourth mission to provide backup assistance to the country's public health care systems during times of crisis. VA's 3D printing initiative, based in VA Puget Sound Healthcare System up in Seattle, grew out of the efforts of local VA clinical innovators and now includes 33 sites exploring a wide range of clinical applications. This includes pre-surgical planning, orthotics and prosthetics, assistive technology, dental applications, bioprinting, and now rapid prototyping and testing in response to COVID-19. Those 3D printings are, are at the VA are great. Uh, last summer, I went down to Richmond VA uh, which is one of those 33 sites to do a video about the VA assistive technology program, do a, a kind of sort of hype video uh, and how they utilize 3D printing. And I think that's on VA's Facebook and YouTube channels. Uh, they were doing some wicked stuff then, and it's great to hear them pivot to fight the current issue at hand. So shout out to Richmond VA and all of the 3D printing being done out there. All right. So with everything going on, I thought it would be a great time to bring you this week's episode. He is a former Marine Corps scout sniper with multiple deployments to Al-Anbar province in Iraq. He's a high threat protection security professional and a Department of Defense recognized subject matter expert on human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. For the past 16 years, he's consulted for tier one military units, Fortune 500 companies, schools, hospitals, churches, as well as local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. Currently, he is the Vice President of Operations for Arcadia Congarati. I hope I said that right. A service provider specializing in assessing, developing, and conducting training and education to address urgent safety and security needs in some of the most challenging environments in the world. What is human pattern recognition and analysis? You're about to find out. It's fascinating stuff. So without further ado, I give to you Marine Corps veteran Brian Marin. Enjoy. I, I really appreciate you being as persistent as you were. So how did you find the show? Uh, yeah, I had seen it on uh, on LinkedIn or something I saw and I was like, oh, I checked it out. And then uh, uh, you had guys on, I listened to a couple of episodes a while back, you had guys on from like the Smoke Pit podcast and stuff. And then it was just funny the, uh, in the last few days. I was like, okay, well, I want to listen to another one, make sure I get a good feel for the show. So, of course, I go through and I'm picking like, oh, well, I got to listen to Dale Die because he's Dale Die, <laughs> like, you know. So right? I was actually just listened to that one I, uh, I, uh, yesterday and the parts parts of it actually this morning uh, going to the gym. It was just funny because I was like, he's he's the man. That's Dale Die. You know what I mean? I, so. If you're a Marine, if you're a Marine, <laughs> yeah. you, you know Dale Die, and you're like, okay, so like one of the – when I when – I, took uh, this podcast from uh, the previous host when he moved to Arlington National Cemetery. One of my goals was Dale Dye. You know, it was like, of course, Dale Dye. I got to get him on the show. So yeah, well, I listened to the story of how you got him on too. So it was kind of funny. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> just, just the, just the, the ha happenstance of, of, of being in the right truck at the right time, I guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I also did my research um, when you started hitting me up on LinkedIn about what what kind of what you do and where mm -hmm. you've been and, and I and I listened to your episode on the Mentors for Military podcast. That oh, that was said. a good, that was a big that was a good one. Uh, yeah, and that's where I heard about your involvement with Carry the Load and yeah. where you went to go clean the headstones on September 11th. Yeah, um, you know we've had a couple episodes with veterans uh, that founded Carry the Load, Todd Boating and Stephen Holly, both mm -hmm. are in our archives. 
talk to me about that experience on on nine eleven with Carrie Lode. What, what what cemetery did you go to? What was it like to spend nine eleven in that way? Yeah, so it was one. It's a, just a cool idea, right? So hey, we're gonna get some people together. We're gonna go to national cemeteries all over the U.S. Uh, I did it here in San. I'm out in San Diego, so I did it at Miramar, and you know we're just gonna go out and clean headstones. And those little things like that are so cool to me because you're, you're paying it back. You know, we, a lot of people, you know, die serving their country, your community, city, and, you know, those names and stuff can be forgotten. So you don't want to, cause then you don't, the lesson doesn't get carried forward if you don't remember them. Right. So Absolutely. something as simple as going back and we're just going to clean up, like it just preserves their memory. So it's, it's just so cool. And, and, you know, it was uh, like a gray morning at first out there at 9-11 out here at Miramar. And you had all these yeah. volunteers that, that had come out that carried the load had organized and you had different corporate sponsorships that came out. And I just gave a brief talk, you know, about what it means. And, 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 you know, my big thing is you, you always got to, you got to do two things. You got to pay it forward and you got to pay it back because someone went before you and paved the way for you and, and and learn lessons the hard way for you. Right. So, so, you know, whatever that is, we, we now know things because people died before in the past. So you got to pay it back to them and then, you know, obviously pay it forward to that next generation of folks, but this is one way to pay it back. And I just think it's, it's such a cool concept and people came out and what was amazing seeing is a lot of people that were there were just like, you know, different, like, like I said, work for Chase Bank or something, you know what I mean? And they have volunteer stuff that they do. So they came out. So no yeah. military or, you know, even law enforcement or first responder affiliation for a lot of these people. And they still came out. And so it was a big experience for them and talking to them. They're like, wow, this was like, you know, we don't, th this kind of stuff doesn't affect our lives much other than what we see on the news. And we pay taxes that fund this stuff. But this was yeah. their point to to get involved and and getting involved that way. I think is such a such a great way, and it and it you know puts everything in a reflection for you. It's like a you know not only just remembering them, but going, hey, this is what's important. People sacrifice for this amazing life that we have. Let's not forget them. And I, I you know, it was really cool, and it was emotional being out there. I'm I'm horrible yeah. in cemeteries anyway. <laughs> like it's just. I get very like, you know, cause it's, it, that's it's yeah, just those, yeah. those wounds kind of open back up again, which is good. It's good to feel that, you know what I mean? It really is. If you have that, you gotta have the right mindset about it, but it's, it's good to have that experience and feel that kind of pain again. And remember your friends that, that were lost that went before you. So it was an incredible event. I, I think, you know, and you talk about people that aren't affiliated with the, the department of defense or military or, you know, going out there yes. and doing something like that. It kind of restores your faith a little well, bit as a veteran, you know, like, okay, people do recognize what's going on here. The, there, there's a lot of people out there that really do. And that's what people forget. And I hear, you know, a lot of veterans sometimes going, oh, well, you know, no one cares about this or let's get veterans need support, need help. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's true. But there are a lot of people out there who, who really care and yeah. who have, but, but don't have a family member that served and aren't connected or affiliated anywhere. And like, they really do legitimately care. So, so you, you can't, can't forget that. And, and, you know, you have to get those people on board, man, and, and build that community. And it's cool to go to things like that and, and, you know, see a headstone that maybe hasn't been visited in years. Yeah. You know? And yeah. and you can, and you can, you know, I had a previous guest, uh, Wayne Hanson, he was the direct director, of, the chairman of the board of directors for Reese across America. And, you know, he talks okay. about, dying, yeah. he, he talks about dying that final time. 
yep. when people forget your name. So it gives you a chance to maybe say a name that hasn't been said in years and kind of breathe life into that, that name again, you know, it, it's kind of cool. It is. And it's almost like the names never really change from one word to the next. I mean, you know, yeah. you see the headstones are literally some of the last names are the same, no relation, but you're just like, wow, this is like, you know, this is another generation that, that sacrificed. And it's, it's just cool. It's just a little gesture like that. I mean, really goes a long way. Yeah, it's cool. I'm glad you got a chance to go do something like that. So I also noticed that you're a fellow graduate of Arizona State University, fellow Sun Devil. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you were as well. Yep. Yep. Did uh, did the online thing right when I got out in 2015 when I was still had a full time gig at a different company. Um, yeah. Same. Same here. I, I started actually before I went in the Marine Corps at the University of Iowa, but it didn't work out well <laughs> for me. So, uh, well, I should say that it's just nine eleven happened when I was a freshman, and I was like, "Well, I know what I'm going to do," and so I stuck it out for a little while, but but I, it didn't work. But uh, yeah, I did the Arizona State as well. Yeah. Very cool. Did you also do it with your GI Bill? Uh, yeah. So I, I used the GI Bill, which was great. It worked out well for me there. And I, uh, yeah, I did political science because I really can't stand politics that much. So I figured <laughs> it would really keep my attention. And it was good because you hear so much, like I just wanted to study it because, you know, you hear stuff on the news and you watch one news channel, it says one thing, you watch another one, it says another thing. And, and you get all this like, well, what does this really mean? And when you start studying it and, and just, I was also just very fascinated with the historical aspect and geopolitics, obviously serving in Iraq and going to Afghanistan, all these different places, you're like, okay, well, how, what does this all mean? And when you get down to it, you're like, oh, okay, this is a little bit more complicated than what people are making it out to be, especially what politicians are making it out to be. Oh, and, 100%. And you're like, well, wait a minute, this is more of a, what, what was a conservative ideal was is now a liberal one. And what, what was a liberal, you know, ideology is now a conservative. It's weird how they flip flop kind of back and forth. And you're like, okay, so it yeah. is just interesting. And I, that's yeah. why I, I liked it. So. Gotcha. So that's kind of similar to what, so I did mass communications and media studies. Yeah. And for me, it's interesting to study the news from a journalistic sense mm -hmm. and, and, and see the today's news cycle and how everything's covered. And I don't know, that's kind of interesting that you both, we're both looking at, we've got different degrees, but we're both looking at the same material from different perspectives. Yeah, no. And, and those things, yeah, it's, I think like, I look at it like right now is we're kind of in this weird, not weird, just in another phase where we're trying to figure things out, right? We have so much information and so much communication coming at us from so many different angles and different opinions and one saying, well, that's not true. And another person saying, no, this isn't true. And so yeah. I think we're just kind of like figuring it out. Well, where, where does this all fit in? And we also have access to so much more information now too. So it's kind of an interesting time, I think. That's why I like doing this show because as long as my focus is on the veteran, like on yeah. the veteran community nothing else matters. Well, and, and this, is, this is the only way you actually get any information is you can't get it in a 30 or 90 second blurb or five minute segment on a news show with six people on, on the screen yelling at each other. You got to sit down with one other person. They have to explain, this is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what it is. And it takes time. I mean, really, it takes 100%, a while. 100%. 100%. Speaking of getting information, was it, so you went to Iowa State before you joined the Marine Corps or Iowa? You went to yeah, Iowa University State. of Iowa. Yeah. Uh, was it easy to transfer your credits from Iowa to Arizona State through the GI Bill and through the online process? Yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Um, some stuff didn't kind of transfer, but then like I did get some credit for like military stuff too. So uh, that was yeah. So I did it a while. I did it in like that was like 2010 maybe. So 
Arizona State was like kind of one of the first ones really out there with a kind of a robust online program where they were pushing. They were ahead of a lot of other schools because now everyone does it. Yeah, they so they had a good system already. They had their online. I mean, because I was doing courses when I was deployed. I was doing all over the world and still able to get everything, to, which got tough and sometimes, obviously. But but yeah, I mean, they had a good program going and I had a great experience with it. I think the online thing is uh, obviously it's where everything is going because all every major school has something, you know, that that's a great program for people who work full time, who can't go to a class, who can't, you know, who have crazy jobs or work hours to still continue that process. Yeah. And I, I had a great experience with it. And I, I mean, I like the fact that you liked, you could be a, a sun devil too when you, when you graduated, it wasn't like some kind of online offshoot. It was. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about when you went, when you were deployed, you, you know, scout sniper, yep. When and why did you join the Marine Corps in the first place? Yeah, so so I, I mean I was uh, always since a little kid, you know, it's something you know it, it, a lot of people grow up playing cops and robbers, wanting to you know play military guy, get all that stuff, and it just <laughs> you know it never grew old with me. My dad was a Vietnam vet. He was in he he was in, in like sixty seven, sixty eight that time frame in Vietnam. And so yeah. not that he, it's funny because he never really talked about it much. He obviously had a much different experience than veterans get to have today. So he didn't really talk about it a whole lot because he was injured over there. He was hurt pretty bad and had to kind of relearn how to walk again. And then he got booted out of a hospital addicted to painkillers, basically, and it rebuild his life. And he's very successful, but it took a long time. And so he didn't get that. He didn't have that community back then. But, but, you know, it was yeah. funny because, you know, he's like, well, I never raised you to be, you know, raw Semper Fi. I was like, dad, like when we were, <laughs> I was six years old, I had to, I had a certain amount of push-ups, uh, sit-ups. I had to do the full <laughs> splits and touch my chest to the ground before I could open my Christmas presents. And he's like, you're like liar. Well, I, <laughs> liar. So what's funny is because I, you know, you grow up that way. So I think that's normal. So when I went into even boot camp in the Marine Corps, I was like, oh, I've been I've been doing this. I've been getting yelled at like this my whole life. This ain't no thing. And it was kind of, it's kind of funny. Like I was like, you played the victory at sea soundtrack, you know, which is the old 1940s, 50s, like naval ship stuff. Like <laughs> what, what did you think would happen? Like I could do pull-ups at six. And uh, it was kind of funny, but um, so I had that. I think it's funny that he said that and you're like, okay, yeah, rewind. Oh, (laughs) he has no. Yeah, it's hilarious. He's like, oh, I I never knew that would happen. I was like, okay, all right. So I was like, you had me in martial arts, like hardcore by six years old. Like, what did you expect? So, uh, so yeah, you fast forward that to that. I was in, I, you know, I kind of wanted to go in the Marine Corps and my parents had worked really hard during my life and were like, hey, look, like you do what you want when you're 18, obviously, but like we want you like we save money to help you with school we'd like you to do yeah. that and at least try it and and i was like okay and so i went to college for a little bit and then obviously it was my freshman year when 9 11 happened and i was like well what the what the heck is this and so i kind of had that passion desire i was kind of torn when i was there i stayed i finished two years and then that was it yeah. i was like i can't like i want to you know it was funny because at the time i'm like well what if i miss my chance to, to go to war now, had I really looking big picture, I probably would have just finished college and then gone. There was plenty of war to be had, I guess. But it was that, no yeah, kidding. part of it was just that excitement and wanting to go test yourself and see and like, hey, you know, I'd, I'd see that, you know, you watch news clips and read stories and you're like, hey, I want to go do that. And I want to know what that's like. And that's why I enlisted. 
you don't want to be left out. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it was pretty easy for the recruiter. I walked in and was like, hey, like, I want to go in the Marine Corps. This is kind of what I want to do. And they were like, okay, well, you got to take this test and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, and the one guy was like a sniper. And he had the photo. I was like, hey, that looks really cool. Like, I want to do that and jump out of planes and stuff. He's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, you, that kind of just started the process. But I was like, yeah, when, when can we go? I'm ready to go. And they're like, oh, well, normally, like, this takes a while. We have something called delayed entry program. I was like, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, school year's done, man. Like, uh, I got a job right now, but I need to get going on this. And they were like, okay, like, come on in. So it was that's pretty awesome. easy. What drew you to sniper school? So I did, I did my, my first deployment as a, a grunt in, in two five, I was an echo two five in Ramadi in uh 2004, 2005 timeframe. And okay. that was a, I mean, a brutal, brutal deployment. Uh, it was, it yeah. was, a, that was when, uh, you know, it was really one, we were still trying to figure out what kind of fight we were involved in, like what, what is going on here Two, We didn't yeah. have, you know, the support the training, the equipment to handle a lot of the stuff. And then three, it was just, I mean, there was, it, that was when the insurgency, it was the wild west out there at the time. And, and so yeah. you had a lot of fighting commanders are trying to figure it out as you're, you know, you call it building the airplane in flight. And that's what we were doing at the time. And, you know, we, we, I watched some of my friends die and it was just a brutal, brutal time. And, you know, what I was drawn to about the sniper thing was like, you know, this is a chaotic urban environment. You know, you're getting shot at, you don't always know where it's from. Then you're shooting at people and there's families right there. And like, I like the idea of, of one, being able to have that capability of being a sniper. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And two, like you have a little bit different perspective of the battlefield sometime and your mission's a little bit different. And it just seemed I mean, just like anything else, like, hey, that seems really cool. Let me go do that. And that's kind of how, how it started. So I, I went then after my first deployment, went over and took a screening and went through a workup process and got a seat for school and all that in between my uh, first and second deployment. And that was a whole long long, horrible, horrible process of rucking over every ridgeline on Camp Pendleton, going days without sleep and food and just miserable hating life it was it was absolutely hilarious so that's what drew me to it but like that was uh that was a that was a that was a tough time it was it was fun though <laughs> so your bio said multiple deployments to al amber how many yeah so i two two i did another ramadi deployment in 2007 um okay so as as a sniper team leader in between those two i did a i did a mew uh 31st mew and went all over you know went to okinawa i got to go through some cool sotg courses and do all kinds of stuff and it was big base big long training basically and then we started our work up and went back to ramadi which was um it was a different time then it was a different battle like uh, things had gotten a lot better which i think yeah. you know looking back on that experience it was uh um, it was interesting. It was almost like, I, I, I think a lot of us, a lot of us went back to the, that had gone on the first deployment. We're now on our second deployment to the same city. And I think it was almost, didn't know it at the time, but looking back, it was almost like, I, I think that was, that was the equivalent of, of tens of thousand dollars of therapy. You know what I mean? Because and what I mean by that is that we got to go back and things were better. And so we got to see like, all that sacrifice oh, wow. and all that hard work we did on our first deployment. Hey man, this city's still rough and tumble and it looked like hell a couple of years later. I mean, it looked, the city was just decrepit, yeah. but, but the security situation was better and people were out in the streets and people had jobs and there was a local police and you're just like, wow, like, okay, that, that meant something what we did. That first deployment meant something. 
And so it was really, really cool to see that, to go, all right, like all that sacrifice, all that hard work that Marines have been dying in the streets, you know, here in this town for how many years now, it's starting to pay. So it's funny how, you know, streams cross and and worlds collide a little bit. Mm -hmm. You were, so, you know, between your first deployment and your second deployment, I was there at Al-Assad from 05 05 to 06. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I was, I was a, a up front, man, I was in an S2, just, just giving briefs on, on what, how the battle was shaped. Yeah. That's a, that's a great perspective to have though, to know big picture on how, you know, as a Lance Corporal, I was briefing, you know, they didn't trust the captain (laughs) 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 and and I was, and I, at that one time, at that time I was an admin guy, they threw in an S2 too. So I wasn't, it wasn't even my MO. Yeah. So, oh man. And they're like, here's, here's this, uh, here's what, here's the, you know, the zipper net. This is, this is what's called the zipper net. And this is what is, you know, you know, I can't believe it was like blue, blue, I can't blue force tracker or something like that. Yep. So yeah. Yep. You know, yep. Yep. Having to make uh, PowerPoints and stuff. I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's very interesting for a 19 year old kid to do this. And, and, but, oh, yeah. but it's, you know, I think it was probably the same time that you're going through scout sniper school in between your deployments. Yeah. I literally saw the, de- like everything decrease over a year, you yeah. know, between when yeah. I first got there, it was like, Hey, this many attacks on, bronze this many attack on orange this many attack on you know on the asrs and msrs and and mm-hmm. and to see it a year later it was like hey half or less than half you yeah know? It, yeah so it's funny how how worlds collide because it's like okay yeah I, you leave i'm there i leave you're there yeah it's crazy and i've done that with a lot of other guys too where we saw each other knew each other you know, and going in and coming out where I was going out and they were coming in and then I was going back in and they were coming out and it was like that high five on the, on the tarmac kind of thing. Like, and, and yeah, you, you getting to see that is, is pretty amazing. Cause I remember, I think the stat was one in, in Ramadi in, you know, July of 2007, there were 30 IED attacks and like the year and the year prior to that, there were like 300 yeah. that same month. Yeah. So, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's enormous. And so, and it was a different type of fight then. And there was a lot of factors that, that went into why that all occurred, but, yeah. but it was a lot of sacrifice by a lot of, you know, Marines and army and, and National Navy Guard and everyone, yeah, everyone, yeah, everyone. Uh, you know, so 100%. So interesting how worlds collide. Um, yeah. While, while, while you were in, who was, either, yeah. he was either your best friend or your greatest mentor. Uh, Matt and Justin were my best friends for sure. They were in our sniper platoon together. Justin and I were in the same infantry platoon together. Um, they were both from the Midwest. I grew up in Chicago. They're from Michigan. And um, we just kind of like all clicked and became really, really tight and have since stayed together. Each one of us has been in each other's weddings and everything. Like um, we've definitely kept that relationship and that bond going um by far as i mean those those type of friendships you forge in in war that absolutely that are that are those bonds are hard to break but greatest mentor um i i've been fortunate to have you know i i really got a chance to see the good the bad and the ugly so i I, i've seen everything from the worst of the worst to the best of the best i mean guys that like actually are true heroes in in that sense of the word yeah so i had i had great leadership uh my actual company commander on my first deployment, who then was again, my company commander. And then I'm still in touch with, he's still active duty. He's a Colonel now, but, uh, he's not amazing. Actually, 
yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we, we were, yep. Yep. Just kicking around the, the, the streets of Ramadi trying to figure things out. And then now like, wow, he's a Colonel. It's kind of funny, but yeah. uh, he's actually from my neighborhood on the South side of Chicago. We went to the same high school uh, several years apart, but I remember showing up to, you know, echo two five and we had like, we were taking leave and, um, you know, you get your leave request approved and all of a sudden I'm brand new boot out of SOI and <laughs> company Gunny calls me in as, you know, Lance Corporal Marin, get over here. And I'm like, uh, what's going on here? And you, like company, the CEO wants to see you. And I was like, well, that can't be good. And we walk in and he's like, Hey, come here. And I'm like, all right. He starts because when he was talking, I was like, this guy sounds like he's. He, I'm like, this guy's a Southsider. I know he is. He's there's a distinct Southside <laughs> of Chicago accent, especially if you're not you're you grew up in this Irish Catholic neighborhood that we did. I'm like, this is him. Yeah. And so we get called in there, and he's like, what the? Where'd you go to high school? And I was like, oh, I went to Maris. He's like, I did too. We grew up, and our parents live like a mile apart. That's amazing. So, oh, it's it was hilarious. And then, of course, I walk out and Gunny was like, who I'm still friends with to this day. We still call him Gunny, even though he retired as a master sergeant years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, and we're like, yeah, we still call him Gunny because of that deployment and that time frame. But he was Absolutely. like, oh, OK, there. OK, there, Marin. Oh, we think we're buddy buddy with the CO now, right? I was like, oh, no, Gunny. Uh, I don't. You know, it's like, oh, great. So it instantly spotlighted me, but it was good. But he was a a, a really really amazing leader, and um, you know, you never agree with a hundred percent of the calls they make. But that person's trying to make the right decision at the right time for the right reason, which is incredibly difficult, right? Got to respect. And that. but he always he 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 had the respect of of our company, and you know to to show how much it was 10 years later he did 10 years after that deployment he did a reunion out here in san diego and i i mean like i don't know what percentage of the guys actually showed up but it was huge huge oh, wow. i mean like i mean just because everyone was like hey that's that's you know who we you know everyone kind of said all right yeah he's the man he's putting all this together let's get back yeah but i had him and, and i had a great uh a platoon sergeant in the uh second deployment to Ramadi, a guy he just retired to um you know it was Gun gunny dickinson he was in this marine sniper community for a really long time hold on hold on is it it's not gunny chad dickinson is it no roger dickinson okay never mind all right so uh, <laughs> but he was in the like we he actually we we were terrified of him because he was like the chief instructor when i went through sniper school and he was revered like everyone knew who he was but he and then you know he came back and then he was our he was our our platoon uh platoon sergeant and it just uh professional great it really kind of that's where i learned more about how everything worked in the marine corps i didn't know it up at the time because it was just like a non-stop you're always you're either deployed to a war zone or you're training for it like i was in that time frame where you're getting kind of chewed up and spit out yeah and you didn't understand big picture you didn't get how it worked you kind of had different attitude because you had so much combat experience that you know you didn't like that's all you cared about so you didn't but you know he was really good about hey this is how things work and so he came and took over our platoon and he just kind of watched us for a couple weeks and then he's like all right guys like hey we're going out we're gonna we're gonna grab some beers and he took out the team leaders and he's like hey guys um i've been watching you for the last few weeks he's like i'm hugely impressed you guys know how to run your teams. You know how to run a platoon. Like you guys know your job. You clearly know it. So here's what my plan is. He's like, Monday morning, you're all showing up with a high reg haircut. 
and i was like oh, are you serious come on i got this sweet low reg i'm rocking i'm you know like <laughs> and he's like he's like look here's how this works he's like when we're back in the rear when we're back at battalion when we're not out on training ops he's like this is how you will dress you will be 100 squared away your uniform will look good you will have a high reg this is how it works he's like guys like trust me like if you project that image of what a marine is and what these guys want to see they will let you do whatever you want to do and he's like now when we're out in the field and we're out at training he's like i don't <laughs> care what you do if it makes you a better sniper do it if wearing you know uh you, you all you wear is jungle boots a speedo and a light coat of clp <laughs> and you can you can prove to me that makes you a better shooter and a better team leader then then you go ahead and do it he's like i don't care he goes and, tr and the thing was they're like oh yeah all right we get it we get it and he's like he's like oh don't worry he's like we're gonna be so busy this workup you're never gonna be around battalion and sure enough we hardly ever were it was it. like yeah but but he was that that guy who just is like okay this is what it is like you work hard you play hard and he was like look he, we're gonna he, and he was able to break it down to you to where you guys were like got it yeah i mean we would do everything we would try and like like he would go look we're gonna i'm gonna keep you guys off the grid and so what do i expect i expect everything to be squared away i expect you to be good ncos and i expect you to work your ass off and we would work our ass off and then he'd be like hey you know what uh we're coming in friday morning we're cleaning guns and you're out of here at 10 a.m that's it you're done like you put in a hard week go like and he would cover us and that was like when you saw that when you got to experience that like it, it's it's awesome you know because there's less People complain less and work harder, you know? I mean, that's that's what it is. Yeah. It just, he held you to a, a high standard. And as long as you met his standard, you met you were good to go. You do what you want. You be your own be your own person, you know, as long as you're doing yeah. what you're supposed to do. And that was like a really – I took a lot of those lessons learned just forward in life on, on how to apply that that mindset. Brian, it's like, it sounds like you had – I mean, you had a, love, a lot of love for the Marine Corps. Um, why did you decide to leave active duty? So that's a, that's a great question. Like it's, it was tough. I was just, uh, I didn't know it at the time I was burnt out. Uh, I got, you know, I did yeah. everything you're, you're, you're supposed to and not supposed to do in the Marine Corps. I got married in Las Vegas. Like, you know, I mean, everything oh that, that one didn't work out, but it's all right. Like, uh, but uh, I, I, I call it, I was, you know, living my life, like at my, at my front sight post, meaning I couldn't see anything past my front sight tip. That was it because I was yeah. in that wartime mentality of train, 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 deploy, 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 you know, drink, drink, drink. Like it was just yep. this, that, that, um, I was going hundred miles an hour and I didn't even know it at the time because it was just normal. And it was just that wild, like, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know there were big picture, other stuff I could get into. Like, I just thought that was it. And I probably didn't even have time to even think about it. No, I didn't. And like, yeah. and you're getting told all this stuff by different Marines. And then you're talking to like the career planners trying to like explain stuff to you who ours was, I, I still remember, I don't remember his name, but like, he's a super nice guy. Like he was just like trying to <laughs> he literally try to help Marines with their careers. And like, what do you want to do? And I thought about, you know, uh, I was going to go be an instructor at the sniper schoolhouse and do that. And then I just ended up like I had some I was I was uh, on that that second deployment to Ramadi. I was kind of having issues with, you know, my my wife at the time at home and like my family. And it was just like a lot going on. And I was just burnt out. So I was yeah. like, all right, I my plan was actually at the time to get out and then 
come back in within that year. You can come back like, I don't know if you still do it, but at the time you could basically, and you're still the same rank. You don't lose any time in grade or anything up to one year. Was um, it like a sabbatical? Like yeah, a sabbatical I, I don't know. Year? I guess I don't think you can do that anymore. Maybe at the time, like you could just basically kind of, you didn't lose anything. Yeah. You came right back in and, and so that was my my plan, and I got a job on Camp Pendleton as a contractor working at a place called the uh, newly built uh, Infantry Immersive Trainer, which is a really cool training facility. It was General Mattis's pet project even before the war started. He wanted to build uh. it, but it was um, that was it. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just get out and figure this stuff out, and then. I started working there and things weren't good in my relationship and just like it was it was a rough time. I was dealing with issues that I didn't even know I had. So that's that's the hardest thing when you get into like, you know, well, you know, post-traumatic stress and and different, you know, TBI related stuff like you don't know you have when you don't even know you have a problem yet, like how, how can you make good decisions? How are you supposed to do anything right? So absolutely. So what year was this, by the way? Uh, 2008. So this was in okay. 2008 and then I had a good job. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm working here as a contractor, making decent money and then going to school. I was like, cool, I'm going to finish my degree. All right. I just got to do something. I got to stay like super, super, you know, I got to work hard. I got to, okay. yeah, I got yeah, to, I got to stay busy. And I was doing that and it was just like, things weren't good in my personal life and it just, it just didn't work out. Like I kind of wished, um, I had stayed in longer or done other things or, or at least went into the reserves and then continued a career, maybe come back active duty. There's definitely times when I look back, I was like, oh man, I really wish I would have done that. But, you know, it might not have led me to where I'm at now. So, so who knows? Absolutely. So you, Absolutely. Can't, can't, can't do that too much. No, you know? <laughs> I can't do that. You, 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 Cause like you said, it's like the decisions you made led to, led to the, the career path and the, yeah. and the life project that that you have and, now, and I was you know? always putting one foot in front of the other, even when times are tough, you're always trying to like, all right, you know, maybe I'm not thriving right now, but I, I'm surviving and I'm going forward. So I, I would always Absolutely. try to do that. And that got, that, that gets tough. So yeah, I, 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 I kind of just stayed right there on Pendleton. I call it like I did like my instructor billet as a contractor kind of thing. Cause that's what it was basically. So yeah, that's funny. Um, you, you were talking about TBI yeah. and PTSD and, and, not recognizing yeah. at the time, uh, how were you, how were you mitigating that? Um, at the time? you know, for me, it was just like, I'm just going to stay super busy. And then, um, I was kind of drinking a lot, but not in the sense of like, you know, I don't, it gets like a weird, like I was like, you could still, function. yeah, still, still function. And I was the happy guy, you know what I mean? Because like when I had a few drinks in me, I didn't f feel like pressure or anxiety or different issues. So I felt happy you know what i mean so i was always the man brian you're so much yeah. fun like we gotta hang out and i was like yeah man like this is great i'm not i don't feel any pain right now so i did but i didn't i didn't know that's what i was doing you know you're just masking different symptoms and that and i started i stayed super busy yeah. so like i would say i was working on camp pendleton i would go to school at night uh then i started deploying again overseas doing security work for different agencies and same thing i would just be gone for 90 days, home for 30 days, gone for 90 days, home for 30 days, doing school online. Like I just occupied my time constantly. And what it did is you're just kind of just what I learned later is you're just kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit with the issues that, that you have. And you're just burning out at the same time. Yep, uh, absolutely. You it, can't keep that up. Yeah. I think you're, um, you know, people talk about drinking, talk about people talk about other abuses, but I think digging into your work and digging mm -hmm. in and just burning yourself out mentally and physically. I, I think you're one of the first people that's actually brought that up. So that's you, pretty you, you do that and like you you find ways to stay occupied and people you don't realize you're just you're just not 
you're just disassociating with some of the issues. You're like, oh, well, I got all this work. Because I would always say that, like, I never, even for a long time, I'm, I'm remarried now, just actually just recently. I'm like at the at the best point in my life I've literally ever been in. And it's so awesome. But what you, I didn't realize what I was doing with other relationships. I would never get in serious relationships. I would date someone for a while and be like, oh, I got to go again. I uh, got to go back to Afghanistan or go back to Iraq. Uh, gone for three months. Sorry. Like, Bye. yeah. And you're just like, you're in this crazy cycle and like, you're just... What you're doing is just not facing your issues, but you're, I mean, you're still functioning well in society. You're just, you're just, you're just not dealing with with some of the the problems that you have, and that's that's tough to realize and tough to do. And I think, I think we've gotten better sure. at like addressing some of that stuff and bringing it up and talking about it, so that you know you can identify that stuff. Is this at the same time? Is, at this time, did you also get your master's degree from USC? So that's that was uh, I didn't do that until 2016. I finished or 2017. Okay, sorry, sorry 2017. Uh, I finished. So that was recently. You got a so you got a master's degree from USC yeah. in applied psychology. Yep. What the heck does that? Yeah, entail? that's a that's a great question. Uh, so I actually <laughs> you're like you're like I don't yeah. Know. Well, that I chose that uh, degree kind of specifically because you could kind of had some leeway in how you wanted to apply it, how you wanted to study. It wasn't just like a like I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist. That didn't interest me. I, yeah. I have I don't I like I have my own problems. I can't sit here and listen to yours all the time. You know what I mean? Like that's wouldn't work well for me. Like uh, I don't know. Or I'd be like because. I would be so bad at it. I'd be like, oh, you think that's bad? Let me tell you this one time I did that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would be the worst uh, psych- clinical psychologist. But um, so <laughs> I I originally back in 2007, 2000, had uh, met and worked with a guy by the name of Greg Williams who wrote the uh, the combat hunter program for the Marine Corps. And then later on, the, really? yeah, the advanced situational awareness training for the Army. He's a human behavior profiler, subject matter expert on human behavior, has developed incredible, incredible stuff that people have been copying now for years and passing off as their own work. But they, so we're going to come, I got a, I got a story about the combat hunter program. Oh, we'll perfect. Come back yeah. So, going. so I met him and then I was super interested in that. I was like, Hey, this is really cool. And then always studied and fascinated by stuff. Uh, then I kept running into him like in all the wrong places, like in Afghanistan or Iraq and be like, Hey, Brian, Oh, Hey, Greg. And then finally in like 2012, he was like, all right, dude, do you, want to come work for me and i was like he's like he's like someone's putting us together so i said okay we were at a different company at the time and then so from 2013 i started teaching it on the army with the soft uh, side and uh the uh, basic courses their advanced situational awareness training which is a program he wrote for them that um you know they made it again just like the combat hunter program they made it a program of record made everyone go through it so obviously it was you know, substantial program so i was an instructor for that and then we did that with this previous company for for several years, and then things kind of went south with them, meaning they just kind of mismanaged the program and the employees they had working for them, and it, it wasn't good, and a number sure. of other reasons. It was kind of a bitter divorce, like we were done there in 2017. Mm-hmm. So now we've just re- redid it, and now we're doing it on our own uh, with our own company called Arcadia Cognorati. We do the what we call human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. So that was part of the... Yeah. Okay. So, so what, that's what stuck out to me when you first reached out yeah. to me because human behavior pattern mm-hmm. recognition analysis, that's yeah. to me, that's extremely unique. And when I first read that, to me, it sounded like, like some minority report mm-hmm. 
kind stuff. of because <laughs> we don't. Cur- yeah, uh, is that because uh, what I was thinking is like it's like finding pattern criminal behavior yep. before it happens. That's exactly what it is, and the reason we use those terms, which are those are our terms that Greg developed. That that's what he's always called the program. So even combat hunter to him was a form of human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. So what that is, is a scientific way of saying human behavior profiling. But the problem with that is using that is that that term is one that has a negative connotation um, when you say profiling, because people think, oh, racial, it's like, well, no, your race or religion, that's one dimensional and unscientific that tells me nothing about you. But you all have a Facebook profile, a LinkedIn profile that's that tells me about you. Right. So that tells me about your likes, your dislikes, who your friends are. Right. So it just builds a pattern of behavior. So that's how we we look at it. And we use that term and we call it that because, you know, human behavior pattern recognition is something everyone is born knowing how to do. It's an intuitive skill set that you know how to do. So Tanner, you think back to when you were a little kid, you know, whoever raised you, mom, dad, aunt, and uncle, grandma, grandpa, when you were, you know, even three years old or a little guy, when they walked in the room, you knew whether they were mad, whether they were happy, whether they were sad. So you you, you learn how to do that yeah. and read human emotion. So that's all it is. The problem is, is when it comes to the, the A in that, right? The analysis part is... No one, we we don't actually ever get taught how to do that. So what happens is people jump to unreasonable conclusions, right? So they go, oh, uh, this person was acting this way. So, oh, it must mean this. And it's like, well, no, you you can't prove that. So what we have is a gating mechanism, an analytical framework on how to analyze a person, a situation, an event, and go, "Here's, here's how this works. Here's a likely conclusion. Here's how I establish a most likely or most dangerous course of action for what I'm seeing. And the whole idea is exactly that is, to prevent an attack how do you how do you find a school shooter before they do it like no i don't care about putting up bulletproof glass and arming teachers like why don't we just stop it from ever happening because you can do that you know so so that's what it's all about and that's what the combat hunter program is great that was what the army asap program was great you'd have guys going down range sending back ars like hey i we we saw an ambush before it happened all these indicators that you taught us how to look for things we picked up on it instead of walking into it we went stop hold firm let's take a different route in let's call in support and sure enough there was an ambush team waiting for us and we killed them before they killed us and like that when you get those after action reviews you just like i mean that's the greatest paycheck in the world when people tell you that stuff oh i mean you you, you just know you're like we just we just saved someone's life and we killed some bad guys, which yeah. is awesome. So meaning, you know, you gave them that skill set to apply. So that, that's basically what it is. And so to kind of go back to your original question about USC and the master's program, I could take that and like I could do their course of study and and involve my work in it as well. Tracking. So it and Tra- and the other reason I did it, too, was, uh, you know, that it, it they were focused on more of like a typical business employee experience. So that I needed that to get outside of the military law enforcement intelligence community stuff I was working before to, to literally just broaden my horizon and go, well, how does this apply? And it's, it's hilarious because it's all the same stuff. I mean, there's no, you know, you look at organizational changes, culture, leadership stuff. It's all the same in the business world that it is in the military. You know what I mean? They just, the, the private yeah. sector doesn't have training. They have education, which is different than training. Where in the military, you have training and you're taught, hey, these are leadership principles. This is called a planning process. This is how, the, you know, this is yeah. called toxic leadership and this is how it affects your command. 
So we get taught that stuff in the military, but but uh, and trained in how to apply it, and the private sector really didn't. So this is kind of like a way to me bridge the yeah. gap and get into more kind of corporate clients as well. So get your TLOs, yeah, and TLOs yeah, and, and where 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 uh, yeah, where I guess it, you, would, you would say civilian is just well, the, is just. Here's your, the the here's big your thing, yellows. Tanner, too, is is um, what what separates is funny. I was just talking to I went out and spoke it and was invited out by Turner Construction at their New York headquarters, and they'd have a whole veterans network. It, it was amazing to see such a major organization and how they're trying to recruit veterans, the right ones, and retain them because they see these skills in them that they don't see in other people. And they actually didn't even know why. And I was like, I actually kind of helped explain some of that to them. I was like, look, there is a very distinct difference between education and training. So education is important, right? It'll Mm. teach you new new things, right? Uh, New concepts and maybe some critical thinking ability on how to see the world differently. It educates you, right? It informs your opinion, right? But, and this is our company motto is training changes behavior. Right. So so if I want someone to do something differently, they, that that requires a training program, not a check in the box education program. And the military kind of gets this stuff confused sometimes, too. Right. And, and, you know, especially now that things go more electronic of, hey, you got to take this online course. All right. Good. You know how to do that. Right. It's like, no, no, you just taught me something, but I, you didn't just show me how to do it. So that was the big thing I, I talked uh, up at Turner about is that that the training process is that that's what that veteran brings right so you've have so much training yeah. that you don't even realize so a lot of guys get out and they have a they have skills that they don't even know that they have because it wasn't even articulated to them they just had to do it right and you're like hey look man like that's going to put you ahead of the game and and the other thing obviously being you know what what separates veterans at, at different companies is that that mission accomplishment like they know like when hey something has to get done you just like they're going to stay there and do it. I had, I had a buddy who was also, he was yeah. um reconnaissance Marine sniper, my buddy, Dan, and he was uh, doing security contracting with me too. And he was same guy, like always doing classes and stuff online. And he, he's got some other great work and he was trying to get me. He's like, you got to go get your MBA, get it in, you know, master's in business administration. I was like, I was like, dude, that doesn't interest me at all. He's like, look, these brokerage companies, these guys that make a ton of money, he's like, they'll hire you. And you're going to start out not making a lot of money, but they'll show you how to do it. And then in a few years, you could be a big finance guy. I was like, well, it just doesn't interest me. He's like, look, they want veterans so bad yeah. because they'll, veterans will show up and they will be like, hey, you can't leave until this gets done. And that veteran will be like, okay. And they'll just work their ass off until it's done <laughs> where all these other guys are like, oh, I got to go home. I got this. Well, oh, we didn't get it done today. And like, he's like, they will hire you simply because it says Marine Corps with combat deployments. And, 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 private companies are really starting to realize that value now and go, oh, these guys are, you know, have something that the average person at college doesn't have. And and you look at how even like I think Google and Amazon are changing a lot of their requirements where they had jobs that used to require a college degree and they don't anymore. And they because they realize yeah. like, well, that yeah. doesn't that's not what we need, you know, or equivalent experience. Yes. Is, is it, the- <laughs> and, and that's and that's what I love about, you know, if you have that time in that military, like you got to understand like you you have some what's called tacit knowledge uh, you have from your experiences and training that that applies everywhere in life if you learn how to tap in and use that and and basically just learn how to articulate your skills. You know, I think that's a big thing, too. What's the best way to articulate those skills? Well, and and I would stick with, hey, look, I've had a lot of training in how to mentor people. 
how to educate people and how to learn a a, a skill set and apply it in a complex situation, right? So that's a that's a big one. And and what people forget, you know, in the military, you know, you're always training your replacement, right? So if you're in a leadership yeah. position, you're showing the next guy. If you're a team leader, you're explaining to the next guy, like, hey, this is how you be a team leader. If you're a squad leader, yep. you're explaining to your team leader, hey, this is how you be a squad leader. Well, the corporate environment is is horrible at that. And there's different reasons, right? Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to show this guy how uh, I do things because I, I want to be the yeah. keeper of the knowledge and that makes me look better. And guess what? Organizations now are starting to realize like, no, that's a terrible attitude to have. So that and that's a ter- and that's a terrible thing for the for the company. Oh, yeah. and it's, I, I always talk about single points of failure. Yep. Don't have them. Yeah, and and if you don't, if you have people that that are out there with that kind of mindset, it's for the company, it's horrible in the long run. It might benefit that individual in the short term, but in the long run, it's it's not going to. You got to put yourself out there and say, you and not be the keeper of the knowledge, be the guy that you build everyone up. And if you're that person yeah. that goes, hey, look, I'm really good at building other people up. I'm good at developing leaders. That has that makes the group better, which in turn makes you better, which makes the organization better, which has positive effects for you. So learning how to articulate those skills, because they're a little bit different based on your experience and your MOS and all that stuff. But but there's there's uh, a process of when you're getting out and figuring out all that stuff is uh, it's gotten better. Um, I think there's still things that that need to be done. But but um, just learning how to articulate your skill set is, is tough. Very good. Very good. Um, going back to human behavior pattern recognition. Yep. What drew you to that entire field? What led you down this path? Um, again, like, you know, these are things you learn kind of later in life. I, even since I was a little kid, I was always, um, I guess, a little skeptical uh, or I was always um, kind of, I, I never understood how someone would have like when they had a really strong opinion about something when I was young or, and they would go, well, I think this, this, and this, and I would go, wow, like that person has a lot of confidence in what they're saying. They must really know what they're talking about. Well, fast forward, I found yeah. out, no, no one knows what they're talking about. We just, we just launch our opinions out there without any thought or, you know, depth into it or understanding of an issue. We want to have an opinion first. And I was kind of the opposite where I was like, oh man, I don't know anything about that. I better learn. And, and so that kind of helped with understanding of, of how human behavior works, where I could see like, hey, why is that person doing this? Can't that they see that they're continuing to do the same thing over and over again and they're not getting a result they want? Like, why don't they just change their behavior? behavior. And it was just a fascination with, with why things work. And then of course, with my own issues with, you know, mental health issues and, and just trying to figure out, you know, why do I think this way? Why? And I, but I had some great experiences, you know, you go back right when I got out of the Marine Corps, when I was working as the infantry immersive trainer, you had a lot of these scientists out there doing different studies. And it was really cool to be a part of, you know, I was just like a tactics guy walking through with the different squads going through there, but, you know, still part of this really, really big, huge thing called fight JCTD, which was the future immersive training environment, joint capabilities, technology demonstration, which I don't even know how I still remember all that, but it was one of these big picture things, but you had, you had behavioral scientists out there. And so they were doing different studies like cortisol tests or stress tests, like, Hey, they're going to swab, you know, your saliva before you go through a training scenario, then after you go through a training scenario, so they can compare some baseline data, compare it to guys who have been in combat, who haven't, to the the level of stress within the incident and measure all that stuff. So it was really, really cool stuff. So interesting. But like, 
Oh yeah, and that stuff is so cool that, that there's so much that goes into that in the background that guys don't even realize how how great training has become over the years because of stuff like this. And and I got to like basically be a fly on the wall. I wasn't you know I wasn't the big brain in the room, but but I got to talk to these behavioral scientists, and it, which was really fascinating because I taught them stuff and they taught me stuff. But but I just remember having this conversation with one going like. It's like, yeah, like, you know, I had this straight, you know, you had issues where, you know, you get super angry sometimes about this. And like, you know, I was out one night and this guy said this and I got super pissed. But, you know, I just walked away, calmed myself down and realized like this isn't worth it. So like, you know, I'm getting better. Like I, I felt that was a win. And they're like, oh, okay, Brian, good. That's good. That's good that you're able to do that. <laughs> do you know, based on what that guy said, you don't have to get that upset. And I was like, <laughs> to begin with. And it was kind of that light bulb moment. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you said you wanted to cave that guy's face in, right? Well, he didn't really do anything in this situation you described that would warrant that. I was like, I know. That's why I walked away. They're like, you don't have to get that angry. And I was like, oh, so that that now brought me to the next level. Like, oh, okay. Now I need to learn, like, why am I getting so upset during these different situations? And and so I learned to kind of look at it that way. And it really, really helped a lot, honestly. It, it's funny when we're, you're talking about this. I'm now self-analyzing some of the situations I've been in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, well, that, and that goes back to the HBPRA skill set, the human behavior profiling stuff. And cause people like, you know, we go big to small, you got to understand how you process the world and then categorize things. And then you get to, cause everyone wants to learn like, Oh, teach me the body language stuff. And you can read body language. I was like, well, there's a lot that goes into it and you have to put everything into context. And I go, but if you want to get really good at the skill set, look at yourself in the mirror. Like start being self-aware of what you're doing, how you're acting and how it affects people in the room. And then you're going to get really good at reading it when other people are doing it. If you can figure it out on yourself. That's why I always tell people. Noted. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 talk, you talk about the best part about what you're doing, um, you know, is when, you know, you, you get a team coming back and they say, hey, this saved my life. Yeah. Uh, what's the most challenging? Because, you know, I, when, when I first heard about what you do, mm-hmm. I immediately, of course, like I said, I immediately went to my minority report. I'm like, okay, so what if you mix, mis, can you misdiagnose? Can you misread the situation? You know, yeah. you know, in a, in a sci-fi sense, are you arresting people that really didn't do a crime? You know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, so in the minority report thing, thankfully, we have civil liberties in a constitution in the United States. So you can't arrest someone <laughs> unless like before they commit a crime. But um, America. but you no, know, what, what it is like you're that's that's why we you have to use an analytical framework and understand some of the science behind it in order to articulate what you're seeing. And it's gotcha. always what's what's likely to lead. And and are you going to get what you're asking is basically like, is there like a way you can get a false positive? And like, um, you know, maybe. Uh, but but that's where if there's some doubt in there, you have you know, it's a sustained observation. Well, I got to monitor the situation longer. You know what I mean? I, I can't yeah. draw an unreasonable conclusion, but you can determine what's the likelihood of this and then then determine what your intervention strategy is so you know if yeah. that's a, a a you know a, a kid in school right so i, I can teach you this skill set tanner right i can yeah. teach it to a group of teachers and they'll identify something in a student and be like all right this person is likely their behavior this is what i'm noting this is what i'm seeing it's escalating so it'll draw you to that anomaly in the baseline. Here's the person I need to look at. Now, you might not know whether that person is like that person that we call it like an insider threat, like a school shooter is an insider threat. And that's why they're yeah. so horrible because they go to that school. They have access. Right. But but so is a, a teacher who wants to, you know, sexually assault a student. That's an insider threat. 
Um, so is a, so is a student that wants to commit suicide. That's an insider yes. threat. They're a threat to themselves. So the skill set you just need to learn will help you identify what that is. You may not know where it leads you to, right? So that kid, you don't know if that kid's going to want to shoot up the school or just kill himself, but you're going to identify the anomalies. And that's what you need to do, right? You're going to be able to identify and articulate it. And that's, that's the big thing. So now I can intervene, right? The whole point of this is yep. to create a bias for action and actually do something. I can intervene before it, you know, I can intervene when it's still an issue and not wait till it becomes a problem. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's, that's the whole goal of it. And that's what we call that, that left of bang is that's what the mindset is, is it's all about mitigating the event from ever taking place. So that, that, it, you know, that's kind of what the idea is behind it. Blow my mind, Brian. <laughs> Why well, keep like, going on that? Be careful. When you go down this I'll sit on here for hours and go start picking stuff apart and go, this is what means this. And this means that I, I love it. And that's why it's so but, fascinating. But what I love is, is, uh, you know, that you're an expert in a skill set that can be applied for a million different applications, whether right. it be DOD, whether it be right. city and local government. I mean, you just, you just gave a school, a schoolhouse uh, example. I mean, fortune 500, there's a million yep. applications that you can do this with. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, Going back to um, the combat hunter program. Mm -hmm. So when I was, when I, my last attachment was three, eight and they okay. did some station training out in the field and I was documenting it was, at that point I was combat camera. Uh, one of the most interesting stations that I came across, but, but I really couldn't figure out how to tell that story in that instance was the combat hunter program. Okay. And so you talked about Greg Williams that he wrote the combat hunter program uh, for those that have never seen it or have never even, you know, been around it. Can we just bring up? what the combat hunter program is. So, so that was a mix of a, of a few things. And it was a specific program kind of built for a specific time. And they brought all these experts together. And a lot of this was, was really was, was Mattis was kind of him. And then guys like Crusher, uh, Colonel Clark Lathine, who's actually at the, I still have done some work with. He's up at USC um, at oh, their, wow. inst inst he runs their Institute for Creative Technologies. And it's hilarious because everyone's like, oh, Clark, this and Clark. I'm like, yeah, his call sign is Crusher. That man still terrifies me to this day. So <laughs> they're like, he's such a nice guy. I was like, you don't know him like I know him. And, uh, but there was all these programs and they, they said like, you know, this is again at the height of Iraq and, you know, you know, Mattis is going like, okay, like Marines are dying. What, what can we do like right now? Like I'm talking like this week to fix this situation. And they, and they brought in all these experts and it slowly trickled down to a few. And Greg Williams is one of them. So he did all the human behavior stuff for combat hunter, but, but it was, it was combat profiling was kind of what it was also known at the time. And then yeah. they brought in some other guys to do man tracking and then, um, some other guys for enhanced observation, like they have a hunter and like Greg was the law enforcement, military, human behavior expert. And then uh, I think they had one other person involved as well. Like, yeah, they had a tracker, big game hunter and him. And they kind of put this program together all about, you know, human behavior. And, and it was about, you know, be the hunter, not the hunted. And you got to think like that, right? So how do you yeah. do that? You need to have a lot of different skill sets. And, and so you needed to be able to understand and articulate your environment. And that's all it is. And, and not walk in that ambush. And it was a very, very successful program because it was, you know, Marines picked up on it real, real well and went, Hey, this is the coolest stuff ever. I'm learning to track people. I'm learning how to profile human behavior. I'm doing exercises out in the, in town, like out, you know, in outside off base and civilian clothes that normally is reserved for, you know, special operations type units. And I'm getting to do yeah. that. And I'm watching a crowd and I'm doing it right here in the U S and learning like, look, human behavior is human behavior. Just cause you change and go to a different 
area of operations and they speak a different language or you know worship a different god than you their behavior is what you need to focus on there's certain things you can pick up on and 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 we always focus on like the differences is like you know you know when I, my, my cultural awareness before my first deployment was like you know you don't you wave or shake with your left hand and then you don't it's yeah. like this didn't help at all thanks uh this yeah so you have to learn yeah. the process and that was the whole combat hunter thing was be the hunter not the hunted well you have to develop that mindset you have to develop a skill set and how to do that and so it was a widely successful program the same thing got in, adopted and instituted them as a program of record in the marine corps and um yeah so he, yeah he was one of the architects of that so it was one of the times in the Marine Corps where I wanted to put down the camera and just join the class. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. so interesting. I wish I would have had more time with it. Um, so talking about Greg, you two host a podcast. We do. I found we out. We do. Left of Greg. Yeah. Reading up on some of the literature, it said, follow Brian on his journey <laughs> and learn as much about human behavior as possible in the hopes that one day he will experience true emotion. Yes. So um, <laughs> you got to understand the dynamic between myself and Greg. So Greg is a big guy with a big personality. He's wicked, wicked smart. And that, you know, I don't even like using the term wicked and he's that smart. So he, uh, he's, and, but he talks and he talks and he, he's a very emotional guy and he brings you up and down. And there's a purpose behind that. It's called a memory emotion link. It makes the information I'm giving you stickier if I attach emotion to it. Right. So, you know, you can't tell me what you did last Tuesday. Uh, you don't even know, you don't remember, but you know, you can tell me the day your first kid was born or second or third, or yeah. you can tell me about a really funny movie you watch. Cause when, when you attach an emotion to any type of information, it gets stickier in your brain. Basically the myelinization mm. happens faster. And so you can recall that information better. So he does that on purpose and he brings you on this ride, but then I, you can't have two people doing that, Tanner. That would be if <laughs> it's too much. But he always makes fun of me. He's like, "You are the most cold, unemotional person I've ever met." I was like, "No, I'm just." It's like that that sniper mentality of like, "I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna take a shot when I know I'm gonna hit the target." I go, "You're just belt fed, finger on the trigger, putting rounds out range." Like it's just too, which which is great for our dynamic. People people love it, but uh, that that sounds like a good mix. yeah. It but like, but that's the whole thing. Uh, He's like, you're the most cold, unemotional person I've ever met. I was like, no, you're just super emotional. So, oh my god. So, what are some of the things you guys talk about? So we do. You know, the the idea is just to kind of get out the information out there. So we talk to people about the different programs. We talk about case studies. So what a lot of things like what we like to do is take an, an example or a case study of an event and go, look, this is how you deconstruct this. Here were all the pre-event indicators and all the different places someone could have stepped in and mitigated this this event. So, so what we like to do is is show that stuff. So we just did one that's a, a case on a Marine, a former Marine, Stephen Mater. He was a police officer out in West Virginia, and yeah. he showed up. I was still a probationary officer. He showed up on the scene of this guy who his wife had called 911 and he was talking crazy and uh, he had a gun and it was unloaded. Obviously the police officers didn't know this, you know, you have to assume that it is, but he's out there and, you know, Steven gets out, he's an Afghan vet. He was a dog handler. Now he's a, a cop in West Virginia, you know, says, yeah. Hey, let me see your hands. Guy won't show him his hand. So he draws his gun, gets cover, goes, Hey man, let me see it. And the guy's got a gun. He's just pointing this gun down at the ground. And Mater's going, there's something about this guy. And, you know, he's like, hey, let me let me see your hands. And he's like, no, I won't show you my hands. Just shoot me. And so to him, he went, when the guy said, just shoot me, this to, to this Mater, he's going like, this is like suicide by cop. This, this guy doesn't yep. want to hurt me. 
he doesn't want to hurt anyone. Yep. He just wants me to shoot him. So he's going like, hey, man, I don't want to do that, brother. I just need to see your hands and I need you to put that. So he's trying to talk to him, right? And at no point did does this guy Mater, this officer Mater, feel threatened. Now, he's still got his gun drawn and pointed on him, right? So now this yeah. goes into how human behavior works and human performance and perspective and bias. Because guess what the next two police officers who show up on the scene see? They see Mater gun out on a guy who has a gun. So they hop out, they're amped up, they they draw their weapons, they come up on them, and the guy turns and raises this weapon, and so the other police officer shoots and kills him. So yeah. this is a crazy, crazy story because they all they both of those officers, Mater and this other guy, um, they were both right. Um, they made two completely different conclusions, they made two different decisions, um, but they were actually both right based on the totality of their circumstances and what they saw and how they felt. And I think it was a really great case to show how complicated these issues are and how difficult it is to go, here's going to be our policy. It's black and white. You can't have it. These situations are all so different and it all comes down to the person who's in that situation. So, you know, it's kind of like, all right, how, how does this happen? How can both people make two different decisions? One, both be right and both based on the same circumstances. And that's the kind of stuff we do. Yeah. And we articulate it in a scientific way to say, hey, this is how it works. This is how your brain works. This is how you observe something. This is what he saw. This is what he saw. This is why this occurred. And so it's crazy. And Mater actually got fired from that agency. They fired him for it. Uh, and then he sued. He just got a, a settlement. It wasn't much. But, uh, you know, it yeah. goes into then how police agencies handle these situations, how cities do it why this stuff occur, you know, and it, it, I mean, it was just a very, very interesting case study. So we like to pick those apart scientifically and say, this is how this works all through the lens of human behavior. You just got me amped. You just got me. So what is, and I know there's probably many, but what is the, the main thing that you learned in service that you apply to what you do today? Oh man. Uh, one would definitely be it's um, mission first and like you gotta, whatever your mission is, you gotta put that first. The next line would be uh, then team. So mission is always priority, then team, meaning team gear, team responsibilities, team first, and then um, you last. And I think if you can learn to um, kind of use that as a way to go through life, it's incredibly powerful. So if you're working for an organization and you have a job to do, if you put that job first and then you put the others around you second and you worry about yourself last, May not seem like it at the time, but that that's a way that over time, um, people notice that, people realize that, and people are very, very drawn to that. So that will lead you in, to establish relationships and connections and have experiences just because you have that attitude is going to open a lot of doors for you. Um, I, I can't, you know, just that's the biggest thing. And, and you know, the other thing, it's funny. Um, my younger brother's actually a seal and uh he's 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 out now but uh what yeah he's, he's actually eight years younger than me and twice my size which is hilarious but i told him and we we hated doing this one it's like hey i need two for a working party here i need someone to go do this um <laughs> we all joke about that hate it but but one of my biggest things i told him when he was going to the military is like look man like it's going to suck at the time, but volunteer for everything. He's like, what do you mean? I go, when they say I need someone for this, go do it. When they say, Hey, I'm going to need someone to do this. I go, just go do it. Just, you're just, you're going to sleep less. You're going to work more. I swear to you, it'll pay off. And and it did. Like he would tell me, he's like, look, you know, I said, all right, I'll go do this. Then sure enough, he gets notices. Hey, this guy is, he's a worker. He's here to work. And so 
you know, it's the same reason why you tell your kids to be a good sport because that helps them in life. Because if you're good and you work hard, people want to be around you and they want to help you, right? Yeah. They want to help you be successful. So, so just by being that volunteering for everything and, and picking up as much responsibility, people around you notice that and then they want to hook you up. They know that you work harder. So guess what? When that work starts to dry up, oh, no, we want this guy because we know he's going to be Johnny on the spot, even if you're not as good as some of the other people. So, so that, that's a big takeaway, I think. Positive vibes breed positive vibes. Yeah, it's true. It's, there's a lot of ways that people people explain it. I know my wife does it in some weird kind of hippie way. Not that she is, but she's just very like, I'm all about love and put the vibes out there. She's like, I know you hate that stuff. I'm like, no, I just hate the way you say it. I go, you're dead on. You're absolutely right. I just don't like the way you say it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Brian, is there anything else that I might have missed that you think it's important to share? No, I I thank you for for big time for having me on. This is this was so cool. Um, anytime I you know I've been on a couple of different ones, same thing like mentors for mill and and you know, I look at their guests and I'm like, damn, like I'm not I'm no one compared to these people. Like so, I'm like super like I'm very humbled. Like thank you for having me on the show. Like I mean, you had Dale die on like and then. We had Dale die, and then Brian. It's like, it's like, well, the thing is, I think, I think, I think Brian is just an undiscovered person in the community. That's the that's the one of the reasons I love doing this podcast. Is oh, like, thanks. I mean, yeah, people like people, people like you that are doing such great work and and such have such a great story to tell to light. You know, that's what I love about podcasting. Yeah, and there's there's a ton of ton of them out there, and people doing so much great work um, that you know it's just it's motivating, and you got to stay stay positive and and follow the right people on Facebook so you don't go down some random rabbit hole of, of pain and misery and despair. The VA does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my life. Louis, one of my friends, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week. But I do, I enjoy him. She comes in special. Yes, I do. Early in the morning. For me. That's exactly why I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. Again, fascinating stuff. Uh, I did that interview before the current pandemic, and I wish I can get his take on current human behavior patterns. For more information on Brian's profession, go to Arcadia Congratti, that's A-R-C-A-D-I-A-C-O-G-N-E-R-A-T-I.com. You can find more info there, and you can also go to the Left of Greg podcast, and you can find that on any kind of podcatching app that you have out there. This week, our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week comes by way of our Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital team honors a veteran on our social media platforms and provides a full blog of that veteran's story. And you can find those blogs at blogs.va.gov. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Army veteran Antonio Reina. Antonio Reina volunteered to join the Army in March 1941 while living in Taos, Pueblo, New Mexico. Reina went to training at Fort Bliss, Texas before deploying to the Philippines in September of 1941. While serving in the Philippines, U.S. forces fought against the Japanese at the Battle of Bataan. Rainey was taken as a prisoner by the Japanese military with other Filipino and American soldiers. Rainey was taken as a prisoner by the Japanese military with other Filipino and American soldiers and was forced into the Bataan Death March. 
Rainier finally made his way out of the camp following a dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. After getting out of the prisoner's camp, he received treatment by the Red Cross. After recovering, he returned to the Philippines to finish his duty before heading back home in October of 1945, where his parents were waiting for him. The Army discharged Rainier in 1946, and he returned to Taos Pueblo, New Mexico, where he lived the rest of his life, passing away November 25, 2014, at the age of 92 years old. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at the email podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because every week Born the Battle will aim to go out with something a veteran artist made. Something could be a song, could be poetry, something made by a veteran. We'll replace the current outro music with your art. If you're a veteran that would like to submit your music to the show, just hit us up at that email podcast at va.gov and give us all the pertinent details and we'll use your art as our outro again thank you for listening and we'll see you right here next week take care